God, we want you to use it tonight to mold and shape our hearts into what you want us to be. I do ask you, Lord, uh, that you would just help us stay on task, help us focus, and may we learn this evening from your word and that we might grow to be greater disciples of you, greater followers, uh, simply for your glory, Lord, not for anything in us. Lord, we desperately need you. And uh, I just pray and thank you, God, for allowing us to be called your disciples. Lord, we pray for our Awana clubs across the street, for the teachers, the workers. Lord, you are moving, and we're thankful. There was a great group of kids over there. And Lord, if there are any of those who have not heard the gospel and believed in you for their eternal salvation, may they clearly hear the gospel tonight. May they have ears to hear, hearts to be receptive. May they understand the gospel. May they turn to you and believe in you and your finished work on Calvary for their eternal life. Lord, we thank you again. I ask you for your help. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would enable me to teach your word. Lord, I'm, I'm desperate for your power and for your guidance and for your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 52 and uh, verse 1, this is a, we've, we've turned the corner in Isaiah, and <clears throat> tonight we'll go only down through 11 verses. Next week, Lord willing, we will be in verses 12 all the way through, or excuse me, verse, I think, uh, no, I'm sorry, we'll go through verse 12 tonight, and then verses 13 through 53 uh, 12 next week. It's all one unit. And, uh, but we're, we're talking about my favorite subject, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, there is no greater person on the face of the earth that I would like to talk about than the Lord Jesus Christ. And specifically, this prophecy ultimately will be fulfilled, will be fulfilled uh, finally in, in the kingdom. But I want you to see something. If you, you, you can't help but notice the parallels to our own salvation. I'm not trying to impose anything in this other than you can clearly see the work of God in this prophecy. And you can see a picture to what he has done to, for us through his death on the cross of Calvary. And so uh, if you'll keep that in mind as we go through. Verse 1, awake, awake. This is a new day, a new day. Have you ever had a bad mood and you just had a bad day and everything just seemed to be falling apart? You just want to go to bed and you wake up new and it's a new day, right? You wake up, it's a new day, and hopefully you haven't fretted all night, but you wake up and there's something new. This is a new day for Jerusalem in this prophecy. It's amazing what God does for Jerusalem and how it pictures what he has done for us. In verses, uh, the first uh, six verses, we're going to see Israel's great need. Israel's great need. Notice what he says. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust. Arise. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, 
You have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. They had a great need. And primarily the great need was they were slaves to their enemies. They were in bondage. Remember when they went down to Egypt? And they, they were in bondage, in Egyptian bondage. They were slaves. They had to make... Uh, they had to, to work, and they worked for the Egyptians. And then they came into Assyrian captivity. And then we read further into the future Babylonian captivity, and, and so on and so forth. And so they were slaves to the enemy. And you know what? You and I, in our lost conditions, we were slaves to the enemy. Lost people don't know how to do right. Lost people cannot do right. And, and, and there are slaves to the enemy. We should, never, we should never be surprised at the conduct of a lost person because they don't have Christ in them. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them molding and making them. And this was the state, this was the case of Israel. They were in bondage. They were taken away, he says in verse 5. They had people who ruled over them that made them wail. In verse 5, they blasphemed continually every day. This was the state of Israel in this prophecy. But God says in verse 3, their great salvation. And He says, and you shall be redeemed without money. Redemption. They were bought back. They were bought back. They were freed from bondage. They were redeemed and set free. And you know, you and I, we were sinners. And when we came to faith in Christ, we were redeemed. We were set free from the bondage of the enemy. We were set free from sin and from death. Notice their great Savior, verses 7 through 10. There's the intervention of the Lord. How did this redemption come to them? How were they set free? How will Israel finally and forever be set free from their oppressors that they all will know the Lord? How will that take place? Well, look at verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things. Do you remember, well, we haven't gotten there yet, but in Isaiah chapter 61 uh, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, verse 1, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. It was Jesus Christ who went into the synagogue and he read from that scroll in the synagogue, and he said, this is being fulfilled, this is being filled this day right before your very eyes. He was 
letting them know that he was the one that was going to come and bring and proclaim peace, bring glad tidings of good things. Who we go back to Isaiah chapter 52, who brings who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. This is all about Christ. It's the prophecy And the way that Jerusalem will finally have peace, the way that Jerusalem will finally be released from all of its oppressors, her oppressors, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I, the only way that we were ever set free from our sin... And the oppressor, the devil, was through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it it amazes me. People tell me, I can't see Jesus in the Old Testament. And I I, want to ask them, have you actually read the Old Testament? Because he is all over the Old Testament. And we can say that there has never been a time in the history of Israel where they have been completely redeemed without any oppressors at all and this will only happen and you'll find out in just a few moments this will only happen in that day that speaks of a specific day which is the actual earthly millennial kingdom but you know you and I as believers in Jesus Christ in this dispensation because we trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ we get to experience that freedom now The only, listen to me, the only power sin has over you is what you yield to. It's what your flesh yields to. And we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we do not have to yield to Him. And so they had a great need. They were slaves. They were in bondage. They had a great salvation. The Lord will redeem His people. He'll redeem His people. He is speaking a prophetic passage It's going to happen several thousand years down the road, but he speaks in past tense. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And some people say, well, this was only pertaining to Babylonian captivity. Are you kidding me? This was 150 years before Babylonian captivity. Your math doesn't add up. You can't just be exclusively that. That pictured the great kingdom where Jesus Christ rules and reigns on this earth. It is a literal kingdom. And there are people today theologically bannering back and forth. I'm just going to stick with the Word. I'm just going to stick with the Word. And the the kingdom is when all of this fruition for Jerusalem takes place. They have to go through the day of the Lord first. They have to go through the tribulation period. And God is going to pour out His wrath on unbelieving Israel. And unbelievers of the world as well. But He says, Of the great, great... Salvation offered by the great Savior. Look at verse 10, please. The Lord has made bare His holy arm. Notice this. In the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see 
the salvation of our God. Now, how do I know that he's talking about a prophetic passage in the kingdom? Because that's when every eye in every nation will see the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel has gone to many of the nations. I don't know if it's reached the whole world yet of all the nations in the world. But the gospel has gone to many nations and many people have heard the gospel. And there are believers in every epoch of, of time and every place on this face of the earth. But I still believe that he's talking about Israel and their final redemption will take place when he establishes his kingdom on this earth. And it's not just a spiritual kingdom. It is a literal kingdom. A literal kingdom. So with that knowledge, he says something. You, you have a response to this. Just like you and I, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a call to separation. Repeatedly, God was calling the nation of Israel to come out from them. Don't marry these pagan women and take them as your wives because what's going to happen is you will take their gods with them. And you know what they did? They did exactly that. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, do you know this? That God told him not to marry them women and he married the women and he actually participated and accepted their gods. And he... He paid the price for it. But I'm just telling you, God knows. And he says, listen, in verse 11, depart, depart, go out from there. There is a specific place. Do you know that when you and I were called and we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were called out of the world. Now listen to me. Separation is not that you're wearing a suit and you got a big cross around your neck, and you're beating up everybody else. As the theologian friend of mine, Rick Williams, says, you sweep your front porch, I'll sweep mine. But I want to tell you this. The call to separation is for us not to be divided in our, our allegiance. In the New Testament, when you see the phrase or the, word, the term worldliness, it doesn't mean that you're wearing jeans or it doesn't mean that you're uh, you know, singing contemporary songs. Worldliness means you have a divided allegiance. You've got one, world, one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity. The old timers used to say, you're straddling the what? The fence. You've all heard this. You're getting it. You know... <clears throat> There's a lot of talk right now. Uh, Bryce and I were talking about this. There's a lot of talk. Everybody has to give their opinion on this Asbury revival going on. These self-proclaimed theologians are saying, well, you know, there's a, there's a revival. It's not really a revival. And, you know, and this is what I think. And it's, it really doesn't matter what you think. I, you know, I think it's wonderful that they, I would love to have 4,000 people in Scioto County seeking the Lord, confessing their sin, praying and worshiping since last Wednesday, all continually until now and still going on, I would love that. I would be, I'm not going to judge. I would love to be a part of something like that. But we all think, you know, well, we can't do this because of this, and we got to be this, and we're this, and we're Baptists, and we, we, we separate these little... No, I mean, this is... Put all that out of the way. See, I get outside and hit the microphone. Put all that out of the way and, and look unto Christ. 
Look to Christ. When he called the nation of Israel out to separate from them, he wasn't saying that he didn't want them to dress like Egyptians. He didn't want them to walk like an Egyptian. Remember that song? Hey, that's a little for us old timers. You know, walk like an Egyptian. Uh, he's not saying that. What he's saying is separate from their religions, their paganism. Don't try to bring their paganism into Christianity. And in our land, we have made a secondary separation up on the same plane as the separation that we've been called to. Notice what he says. He defines what this coming out meant. Touch no unclean thing. Now, obviously, he's not talking about touching something dirty, as in, you know, dirt and grime and grease. He's talking about something that's defiled, something that is of the world, something that will harm us because it's against God. And people used to have this understanding. Notice he says, go out from the midst of her. Listen to me. Choose a side, right or left. Don't stand in the middle. Don't be in the middle. Don't be straddling the fence. Choose a side, left or right. Remember, Joshua said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. It's from me, you're you going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve the gods on the other side? It's for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He was coming out from the midst. He was saying that I'm not trying to bring the world into Christianity. I'm getting out of the world and I'm getting both feet in Christianity. Guys, today people equate political activism on the same plane as spirituality. They're not the same. They are not the same. Incidentally, there's something happening with this younger generation at the collegiate level that's not happening anywhere else. Cedarville. There's a school down in Tennessee. I think we were talking about, Bryce was telling me, in Georgia they, re, they rented out a 35,000-seat 35 auditorium at a secular school for a, a Christian service. We look at the young people and we say, oh, they're just, you know, they're serious. And their, their little pockets are becoming, they're, they're getting back, they're coming out of the world and they're coming to Christ. And they're seeing Christ and they're, they're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And people are going to sit back and say, well, I don't know if it's real. And, and the person saying, I don't know if it's real or not, hadn't prayed in a week, hasn't opened his or her Bible since Sunday. And we, we know nothing about separation. You can be of any generation trapped in the world's way of doing things. One foot in the world and one foot in Christianity. You know, when they were led out of uh, Egyptian bondage and they roamed around 40 years in the wilderness. One whole generation died out there. They didn't get to go into promised land. Because... They were divided in their allegiance. They literally said this. It would have been better for us to be back in Egypt in bondage than it would be here 
with God. Are you kidding me? That's like saying, I I would be better off how I was before I was converted than I am now as a believer in Jesus Christ. I can't fathom that. I can't even begin to think that. Be clean. Be clean. You who bear the vessels of the Lord. You ha- we have a distinct calling upon our life. And we are the ones who bear the vessels of the Lord. We are His cracked clay pots. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know what that earthen vessels is? It's cracked clay pots. That's what we are, right? We're cracked clay pots, but we have this treasure. What's the treasure? The glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are, believe it or not, we, the Bible calls us a bunch of crack pots. And that's what we are. And he says, but we have this treasure. And we're to bear this treasure. It's the treasure of the Lord. And I love this. Verse 12. For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. You know what he's saying? You don't go on your own. You don't lead and say, okay, God, come with me. Has anyone ever done that? We get ahead of God and we say, okay, God, catch up. Why aren't you blessing this? You know, we decide, well, I'm going to do this. One fellow one time was telling me, he's like, he read the story of J.C. Penney and he thought it was phenomenal. If you don't know the story of J.C. Penney, J.C. Penney got saved. Oh, by the way, J.C. Penney was a real guy. You know, it's a store. And... Um, he had gotten saved, and he began to tithe, and God began to bless him. And he began to tithe 10%, 20%, until right before he died, he was tithing 90% of his income. And God blessed him all the way through. Well, this fellow said, you know, I think what? I've read this story. I think I'm going to start up my giving, and I'm going to start giving so God will bless me. And I'm, I'm thinking, this doesn't sound right. You know, nothing spiritual on my part. I just kind of said, you know, don't you think you ought to see what the Lord wants you to do? See, so we we're not led by the Spirit anymore. We want to lead the Spirit. In our churches, we want to tell God what, what's going to make it for, uh, for a good service. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. And we don't have that right. And the Lord says, listen, don't go out with haste. Don't go out by flight. For the Lord will go before you. The Lord will go before you. The Lord will not go behind you. He will go before you. Let me ask you a question. Where does the leader stand? Before you. Before you. I was talking to a fellow who had sheep one time. And I was talking to him about sheep because I read the 23rd Psalm and I read the uh, Philip Keller's um, book uh, on sheep. I don't remember the name of it was. But anyways, I read it and I was intrigued and I was talking to a fellow and he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, you cannot drive sheep. You can drive cattle, but you can't drive sheep. You know why? Sheep are sheepish. And sheep do sheepish things. I better be careful. I'm not going to say it's a bad word there. But uh, <clears throat> they do this. And here's what happens. If you try to drive a sheep, they'll lay down. Have you ever seen those fainting goats? You can walk up behind them and yell, and they'll, and they'll fall over. 
Uh, we, we found some, and it was a ball. And I don't know if it hurts them or not, but it sure was fun. They weren't my goats, but uh, um, it was fun. And uh, you can walk up behind them, rah, and you scream real loud, and they'll whoop, fall over. They're called fainting goats. If you don't believe me, look at it on YouTube, and you can watch them. It's a true thing. But anyways, the point I want to make is, he said, sheep, do that. You can't drive them. You have to lead them. You have to lead sheep. Is it any wonder that we are called sheep in the New Testament? And we need to be led by God. You know what the problem with Israel was? They weren't led by God. They want to do what they want to do, and then they want God's blessing too. You know, again, how many of us, have, you want your cake and you want to eat it too, right? Well, to me, that's kind of a goofy statement because, I mean, why else would you have cake if you don't want to eat it? But I'm just saying. But anyways, <clears throat> that's the point. That is the point. They wanted to do what they wanted to do, but they wanted God's blessing. And you know what? We're the same way today. We want to do what we want to do, but we want God's blessing. When it's simple, if you want God's blessing, just do what God blesses. It's, it's really that simple. And you got people who have six and eight degrees, and I'll just tell you this. I have known some people who never stepped one foot in college, and they were the most brilliant theologians I've ever met when it came to practical living. They just had the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. They had learned early on in life that I'm not going out in haste, but I'm going behind the Lord. Now watch this. If the Lord goes before you, verse number 12, that last sentence, and the God of Israel will be your rear God. Guard, excuse me. Your rear guard. You know what he's saying? If he goes before you, he's got your back. If you go before him, you're on your own. You're on your own. And wasn't that what happened to Israel? They wandered around 40 years in the desert, complaining about everything. You fed them. They didn't have to plant. They didn't have to water. They didn't have to do anything. They just had to go out and collect it and eat it. Manna from heaven. I think it was probably deep-fried donuts. It's in the Bible. If you don't believe me, they took a cruise of oil and deep-fried it. They roasted it. I'm telling you, donuts are in the Old Testament. And so they had this manna. And they didn't have to work for it or anything. And they couldn't collect it all, and they couldn't keep it all. You know what they had to do? Every day, they had to go out and gather up enough for that day, and they had to trust God tomorrow it would be there. But some old guy figured out, listen, I can cut a shortcut here. I'm going to go ahead and gather something nobody's going to know about. It. I'm going to put it inside. And when he did, it spoiled. You know what he was doing? He was getting ahead of God. And guys, I want to tell you, when it comes to the nation of Israel, that's what they did. But before we're too critical of them, that's what we do. We want shortcuts. We want to pray one time and want God immediately to fix it and we not have to deal with it. The Apostle Paul said, I, I prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. On the third time, he got up and he said this. He said, most gladly will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Yeah? Jesus prayed three times in the garden. Let this cup pass by me. I've told you this before. The cup was not the physical beatings that they would do. Jesus wasn't concerned. Jesus wasn't worried about the physical beatings that man would do. 
Because he told his disciples it was going to happen to them. And don't fear man that can only beat you. But fear the one who can condemn your soul to hell. The cup of wrath was bearing, or the cup, the bitter cup was the cup of the wrath of God being poured out. And Jesus Christ had to take all of humanity's sin upon him and die. That was the bitterness. Three times he prayed, let this cup pass by me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, your will be done. God looks at Israel and he says, listen, you have a great need. You've had this need from the very time I called Abraham out from his family. You've had this great need. You were slaves to your enemies and you didn't even know it. You thought just because I called you that you could do whatever you wanted, but that wasn't the case. Their great salvation God declares to them, they have been redeemed. You know, when I was, Amy and I were first married, y'all remember a store called Kmart? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you know, Kmart was pretty cool. You know, Blue Light Special and, and any, all that good stuff. I remember one time when we first got married, I bought this TV entertainment center for her. And they said they had one at Kmart down in Kentucky. So I went all the way down there to get it. And when I got there, they didn't have it. You know what they gave me? They gave me a rain check. Who remembers what a rain check is? Rain check means you paid for it. You don't get it, but they give you a little card that says, when we get it, we'll give it to you. You own it, but you don't have it, right? And when you redeemed that, when you took, they called you and said that that rain check was up, your item is in, you came back and you gave them that rain check. You redeemed your item. You own that item, but that item's not with you. Israel was promised, I own you, but you're not with me right now. But you will be when the rain check is presented. And you know, Jesus Christ is the one who paid the price for them. And He paid the price for us. He's their great Savior. And the devil has blinded their eyes and many of the uh, Jews by nationality, do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, there are some Messianic Jews. There are some Jews who've come to faith in Jesus Christ, and they still practice portions of Judaism. But I will tell you this. As a whole, nationally, they do not believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But they will. They will. And he says, listen, come out from among them. Now, I'd just like to make some application. Now, these prophecies are concerning the kingdom in Jerusalem, and I know that. But I want to tell you this. Everyone in this room had a great need. You may not have known it. There are thousands of people wandering around out here that have never been saved. They've never even heard the gospel. Maybe even millions. I don't know. I don't want to claim that I know any number. There's a lot of people. And they don't even know they have a great need. They think they're just living life and living it up. But the greatest need that you and I have is not a job, not a house, not a car, not a, not a food. Our greatest need is eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. And we have that great salvation. We have been redeemed because of the great Savior, the Lord Jesus 
Christ and what He's done on the cross of Calvary. None of us are worthy. We, do, do you all realize that we were all made from dust? I can't say I'm cleaner dust or dirtier dust than you. We're all dust. I remember the preacher I grew up under. He preached that one time. He had a little pan of dust. And every time he said that, he'd blow in the dust and the dust would come up. I still remember that. We, we have to understand that. We have a great need. We have a great salvation because we have a great Savior. Not because we're better than anyone else. Not at all. Not at all. There's a movie coming out. It talks about Chuck Smith and the Calvary Chapel Network and how it began and all that. And they were hippies. And this pastor pastored a church and he, these hippies started gravitating to him by another preacher called Lonnie. And uh, he was a hippie and he was converted to Christ. And they, they kind of pioneered the uh, contemporary Christian movement. Well, they started coming to church. There's a movie coming out about it. How many of you heard of Greg Laurie that preaches on the radio? He's he's large church. He was saved in that movement under Chuck Smith. And <clears throat> I'm not saying that we agree on 100% with everything with him, but in that clip of that movie, which I'm going to go see, I find it fascinating, the hippies were singing, and he's just tears streaming down his face because he knows that his church is not going to accept this, but they need the gospel. And one of the girls says, says you, you went and let the hippies come in your church, and Jesus came in with them. What a powerful statement. Do we have a heart for sinners? You know, we were just as bad sinners as they were. He said, well, I wasn't a hippie. No, but you were a sinner, just like they were. And we have a great Savior, Jesus. And those of us that have been called to salvation, those of us that have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been called to separation, to get both feet in Christianity, not straddle and say, man, I like it over here in the world. I like the way things are going, and I like Jesus. Come out from them, he says. For the Lord will go before you. Follow him. Don't, listen, we don't hear messages preached anymore about being filled with the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. We're hearing a lot of messages today that deal with emotionalism and, and how to control this and how to do this and how to be happy and all this stuff. We need to get back to be fully immersed and being fully controlled by the Holy Spirit because we have been called out to separation just like the nation of Israel was. I think of the new day. I can tell you this. When I was younger, I went to a church that avidly, every moment they could, shared the gospel with everyone they could. And I received Christ as my Savior about eight years old in a classroom, in a Sunday school classroom. When I was 16, I kind of doubted my salvation. I didn't know um, I was a boy. I was 100% boy. I'm sure my parents would attest to that. And um, I just didn't know. And I remember by sitting beside a campfire at church camp in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Our church used to rent out the Mason County 4-H camp. There was a fire pit there, and I was sitting beside the fire pit, and it dawned on me, I, I don't know for sure if I'm saved or not. And a man named Kim Whittington took his Bible and walked through the Scriptures with me. 
and showed me. And I, he said, this, this, this. You know Jesus Christ, you know you're a sinner. Yes, you don't have to convince me that, I know. Have you believed? Yes, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you trying? Yes, yes. And, and he just walked me through reassurance of salvation. And it was like it was a new day. Was I perfect? Heavens, no, I'm still not perfect. But man, I can remember the weight that was lifted. When I lay down at night, I don't have to worry about whether or not if I die, if I'm going to heaven, I don't have to worry about that. Because it's a new day. And Jesus Christ makes all the difference. And there's a new day coming for Israel. There's a new day coming. Now, they've got to go through some horrible things still yet. They're going to have to go through the tribulation period. But that faithful remnant that will believe in Jesus Christ will be saved and it will be a new day for them. There's a new day coming when the Lord Jesus Christ stands on the Mount of Olives. And He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's that now. He's that in our hearts. But He'll be a physical and every eye will see Him. And they will know that He is in fact the King and it is His kingdom. And Jerusalem will acknowledge that. And this prophecy points to that day and says, that's a new day. It's a new day for Israel. And guess what? You and I can have that new day. We got that new day. The day that we believed in Jesus Christ. The psalmist said, He plucked me out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock and established my goings. It was a new day for the psalmist. It's a new day for us. When you believed, it was a new day. Now, now that you're a believer, come out from among them. Especially in the day we live, let your light shine. That light is a reflection of the light, the true light, that lighteth every heart of every man. That's Jesus. We reflect His glory. And we need to keep doing that for His honor and His glory. It's a new day. And what a day it will be. Remember the song, What a Day That Will Be? You know, can you imagine what it's going to be like to be in the kingdom? I mean, you're not going to have to deal with anything. Anything that causes you stress on this earth is man-made. There's not one thing made by God that causes you stress on this earth. Everything that causes us stress is made by man, and we perpetuate it. We just keep on going with it. And that is the truth. So let me just tell you this. There's a new day coming. And if you're born again, you're believed in Jesus Christ, you experience that new day, walk in it, be salt and light, and let your light shine. Amen. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me tell you this. You're a sinner, and you're on your way to a literal burning hell. I know that there are people that don't preach that there's a literal burning hell, but Jesus believed it was. As a matter of fact, he told a story of the rich man and Lazarus. And he was very consistent that he believed in a place called hell. It was not made for men and women. It was made for the devil and his followers. And you go there simply because you reject the free offer of salvation. If you've never, by faith, turned from your sin and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary for your personal salvation, you're not saved, but you can be saved today. You can turn from your sin. You can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, the great Savior, and you can ask Him to forgive your sins, come into your life and save you, and He will do that if you just believe Him. If you believe Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this day. We thank You for Your grace and Your mercy.